in Toronto, believe it or not, we aren't even the province's hotspot anymore. And we all know how bad things have been here. No, it's London that now holds that designation. One postal code in the four city has, how about this, a mind-boggling positivity rate of 28.97%. That's right, nearly 30%. Now, that area code includes Western University, where there have been outbreaks at eight different residences. But 30%, 30%. It's got London now calling for more vaccine there. They would like more vaccine to be sent there because they believe that they are now, particularly, obviously, in that postal code, a hotspot, and they need more vaccine. Joining us now to answer a few questions is our friend, Dr. Nadia Alam, former head of the Ontario Medical Association, and she joins us here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Dr. Alam, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Well, I am okay. I'm hanging in like the rest of us. The Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario now preparing to accept adult patients for the first time in their 47-year history. What does that say about where we are right now, Dr. Alam? We're in trouble. Our, our health care system is in trouble. We talked about this, right? Doctors and, and government, everybody talked about this in the first wave, and it didn't happen. We talked about it in the second wave, even though we were better prepared, it didn't happen. We have let our guards down too much. It's the third wave and it is happening and our healthcare system is engaging in unprecedented moves to try and deal with the influx of truly seriously sick people, people who are struggling to breathe because of COVID. It's, horrifying. It is horrifying to watch. I have to admit, I am, since the weekend, I've been scared. I've been scared of where we're going. Yeah, and I don't think you're alone there. I think a lot of people uh, are, have got a uh, renewed scaredness, uh, if you will, here, and that the, the virus, once again, seems to be kind of closing in, uh, if you will. And not only are the ICUs quickly becoming overrun, as we've talked about for the past uh, few days, but so are our healthcare heroes, because we understand, Dr. Lam, not only are we short of space in the ICU, but we're also short of doctors and nurses as well. What can you tell us about that? So a hospital bed does not exist in isolation. It is just a bed until you add the skilled workers needed to turn it into a functioning, useful hospital bed. So you need doctors, you need ICU specialists, you need various subspecialists because COVID doesn't just attack the lungs, it, it attacks the brain, it can attack blood vessels, it can attack the heart, it can attack the kidneys. So you need all those specialists. You need skilled nurses, nurses who know how to deal with sick people. Um, you, need, you need housekeeping, you need respiratory staff, you need um, emergency staff, you need and you need several rounds, several sets of these people because one person to work 24 hours a day, seven days a week is unsustainable. So you need several people to take, to do this work in shifts. So you need redundancy. And if we don't have that, we run out of rope in our system. We run out of room in our system. Everybody is out on the front lines working and we need more 
Yeah. How surprised are you, Dr. Alam, that we are here, that we're here right now? And by that, I mean, we've got children's hospitals opening up, as I just mentioned, for adult patients. We get ICUs overrun. We've got shortage of uh, doctors and uh, nurses. Particularly, you know, we went through SARS, of course, back in uh, 2003. Was there a failure to prepare for something like this and really kind of learn those uh, lessons? It's hard for me to say it because I tend to be an optimistic person because you need a dose of optimism, one, to be a doctor, and two, to get up and keep trying again and again, day after day. We had the runway to take lessons learned, not just from the SARS pandemic, but from, from the COVID pandemic, from first wave, second wave, and implement it in time for the third wave. In fact, we had runway during the third wave to, to make better decisions, to change our decisions um, so that we could get things under control so that the virus would not be hunting us all down like prey right now. And um, I have to admit that I'm, I'm frustrated and I find even though we're all tired, even though I think we are all trying to work as quickly as possible and make decisions as quickly as possible, best decisions we can, trying to weigh the balance of everything that's going on and everyone who's involved, but we also need to be faster at taking the lessons learned and implementing them, not for the fourth wave, but the next week, right? We need the government and other decision makers in, in local systems, in public health, in the region, in the province to say, okay, this is what we learned this week. This is what we're going to change for later this week, early next week, so that we continue to improve faster and faster. That is the mark of a nimble system. It's not just to write down lessons learned in a report and file it away. It's to actually implement it in real time so that we, we do better. We don't just become complacent. All right. Well, certainly not complacent and maybe showing some nimbleness is the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration in the States, because also is that the FDA in the U.S. has called for a pause on the J&J, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Uh, what is the uh, concern there? The concern is similar to the concern there was about AstraZeneca. In very rare, rare instances, people who've received the vaccine have exhibited a constellation of symptoms that suggest um, atypical clotting in atypical locations. So clotting not just in the veins like in your legs, but clotting in your brain. We don't know if this is actually connected to the vaccine. So far with the AstraZeneca vaccine, even though the two instance, the two, the vaccination and the illness have occurred in the same person, that illness has also occurred in other people. So it's, it's not clear whether there's a cause and effect um, situation between the AstraZeneca vaccine and the syndrome. We don't know if there's a cause and effect um, situation between the Johnson & Johnson vaccine and the syndrome. What we do know is that we need to pay attention. We also need to keep it in perspective. The chances of getting this syndrome are exceedingly rare, like one in a million type of thing. You're far more likely to get hit by lightning. You're far more likely to get hit by a car in Ontario. You are also far more likely to get the similar, a similar type of atypical clotting from catching COVID. 
right? Three to 5% of people who catch COVID will get this atypical syndrome of blood clots in the brain. And we need to keep that in perspective right now. The risks of COVID are much, much higher than the risks of the vaccine. All right. But having said that, they have hit pause on the J&J vaccine. And I'm just wondering, what does this mean, if anything, for the world and the world supply of vaccine, and in particular uh, here in Canada? I think it means that we watch what the U.S. is doing. It doesn't mean that we follow suit. We learn from them, just like we learn from every other jurisdiction. It means that we should, again, maintain perspective of what these vaccines are. There is nothing that comes without risk in life. Um, Life doesn't come without risk itself. And the way you move forward is by weighing those risks against the benefits. And right now, the benefits still outweigh the risks. I'm saying I don't agree with the decision to pause the vaccination. All right. Is there a concern here in Canada, perhaps because, of course, we got a million and a half doses of AstraZeneca from the U.S. that uh, since they've hit pause on Johnson and Johnson, are they going to turn maybe more to Pfizer and uh, Moderna and there will not be the opportunity for us to uh, get our hands on some of their uh, excess uh, excess supply because there just maybe won't be as much uh, available now? I hope not. I hope that we still continue to get the supply that we need. We are very reliant on that supply, given how many people in Canada still have not been vaccinated. Even though we've been vaccinating since January, we still have a significant number of people who have not had their vaccines, whether it's through vaccine hesitancy, whether it's through supply issues, whether it's through access to a place that can provide the vaccine. We... My hope is it won't impact us, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it does. Because really, at the end of the day, is that what we need? We just need more supply. We need more vaccine. We need more needles in arms to get us over this hump and out of the third wave. That's what we saw in the UK. As people got vaccinated, as more and more people got vaccinated, they were able to open up without um, running the risk of of um, incurring another wave. They, they now have opened up pubs and restaurants and, and everything, and they're doing so safely. The vaccines work. They let people move on with their lives, and that's what we need to do. We need to get vaccines into arms. That means we need better communication, better access, better everything. We need an all-hands-on-deck approach. Dr. Lam, really appreciate your time with us as always. Thanks so much for sharing your perspective. Thank you, Jeff. I hope you have a great day. Stay safe. You as well. Stay safe. Dr. Nadia Lam is the former head of the Ontario Medical Association.